0: beginning in verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan. And came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now, skip over, if you would, please, and go down to verse 26. We're going to skip all the lovely names. We'll come back to them here in just a moment. But go to verse 26 of Genesis 46. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were seventy. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, now uh, we pause and give these few moments. We pray that as Jesus reminded us, we can do nothing apart from him. And so, Lord, we come to this time utterly dependent upon you, and Father, we ask that your Spirit would accompany the preaching of your Word this day. And may we not be just hearers, but may we be those who are doers as well. Father, use this time to assist us and equip us for the living of these days. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Picture, if you would, the Miller Theater in downtown Atkinson, Nebraska. It's 1980. And 10-year-old Kyle McClellan is sitting with his best friend, 9-year-old Mike Fowler, and their dads, who were both named Dave. This was a strange, it was a very special occasion. It was special because the second of the original trilogy of the Star Wars movies was coming out. And because there were no girls allowed and my mother was not there, my father let me drink a Coke. It was a good night. And then, as long as I can remember stuff, I will remember hearing these words, Luke, I am your father. That's the point in which I learned that every great story has a plot twist. Every great story has a surprise. Last week, we saw Jacob get the shock of his life. It was a surprise to him, but not to us. We've known all along that Joseph was alive and doing well, in fact, doing quite well in the land of Egypt. But Jacob had no idea that his favorite son, long thought dead, was now alive and ruling as prime minister in Egypt. Well, lest we think that's all the plot twist this story needs, Moses gives us more. In fact, there are four more of them in our text for this morning. They're in your outline as questions. But why? Why does Moses see fit to include these plot twists? Why are there these things that grab our attention and make us scratch our chin? Moses doesn't think that we need to be entertained. He doesn't think that we have ridiculously short attention spans, though those two things are probably true. No, there's a method to his plot twist madness. The new normal of Israel's life is going to reflect God's covenant care of his people. You see, God has made great and wonderful promises to Abraham. And in his grace and in his mercy and in his goodness, he's allowing Jacob to see some of those things in part fulfilled before his very eyes. Or we put it this way in the big idea for our time together this morning. God goes out of his way to demonstrate his covenant faithfulness to his people. God goes out of his way to demonstrate his covenant faithfulness to his people. This week at the Simeon Trust, we were looking at the book of Revelation. And it was interesting uh, that in the times we had at the end of every session, at the end of every day, there would be a time of preaching. And in the first uh, afternoon, then we heard from Revelation chapter 20, which is this glorious promise about god overcoming his and our adversary and then on the last day we heard from genesis chapter 22 which tells of the tree of life which is there for the healing of the nations and the wonderful promise that god is making all things new well friends it's not hard when we hear those kinds of promises to go well god that's that's great but let me tell you about the week I had. That's fantastic that everything sad is becoming untrue, but here's the sadness that's going on in my life. Yes, I long for the day in which sin and sadness and crying and death and disease will be no more. But God, that was not my experience this week. See, friends, this is not just a word for Jacob and his descendants. No, this is a word for us as well. So the first of the four questions, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? As we open Genesis chapter 46, uh, Jacob has been convinced by his 10 other sons that Joseph is alive. All he need do is open the tent, flack, uh, tent flap and look at the armed caravan that is there to escort him back to the land of Egypt. Uh, J- Joseph has sent a motorcade to go get his father, as well as a small fortune, along with his brother Benjamin. And so the family loads up. They mount up, they pack up, they gather everything, and they head when they get to Beersheba, which is an interesting place in the book of Genesis. Beersheba is the place in which God deals with and gives a vision to Jacob's father, Isaac. And in Beersheba, they pause and they worship. And in the course of this worship, verse 2, God speaks to Israel or to Jacob in visions of the night. And I think it's interesting the word that God speaks to Jacob in verse 3. Not, I am your God, the God of your father. He's known that. It's the next phrase that should surprise us. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, when I read that, I thought, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, time, time out. Why in the world would Jacob be afraid? I mean, friends, let's think about all the things that are in Egypt. First of all, Joseph is in Egypt. Joseph, his beloved son, who he's dying to see, who he tells all the other brothers, it's enough, he's alive, I can see him before I die. Thanks, Dad. That's a cheery word. They mount up, they go, Joseph is in Egypt. He can be reunited with his favorite son. More practically speaking, there's food in Egypt. After all, that's why they went there in the first place. They need food. Egypt, thanks to God's providential plan and care, has Joseph, who has made sure that there is plenty of food in Egypt. I don't know if you noticed, but as we made our way through the text, one of the things that gets highlighted again and again and again is that Jacob and his sons are shepherds. Shepherds need water for their flocks. They need pasture for their flocks. And when there is a drought, guess what you don't have? Water and pasture. On top of all that, at this point we think in world history, Egypt is the world's lone superpower. So what they have in Egypt that they don't have living in Canaan is a sense of security and stability. What happened to Lot earlier in the book of Genesis when rival kings came and fought against one another and Lot gets caught in the middle, that is not going to happen in Egypt. They're not worried about Babylonians coming or Assyrians coming. They're not worried about other folks coming and attacking them, and they could conceivably get caught in the middle. No, Egypt offers security and stability. Egypt offers, they could say, to borrow a phrase from Nebraska, this is the good life. And yet, God has to say to Jacob, do not be afraid. Why? Why would he say that? Friend, he would say that because God's promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob are tied to the land of promise. They're tied to the land of Canaan. Earlier in the book of Genesis, in fact, in chapter 23, God uh, warned see in Genesis yeah 23 God warns Isaac about going into Egypt when Abraham went to Egypt because of a drought he came back and his wife had a handmaiden named Hagar we're still paying the price for that trip to Egypt and so we understand why in spite of the fact that Joseph is there Why, in spite of the fact that there's food and water and pasture, why, in spite of the fact that Egypt promises the good life, we understand why it is that Jacob is afraid to go. In the midst of this, then, God promises something significant. Did you see what he promised him? I myself will go down with you. He promises his presence. He doesn't promise all that his circumstances are going to be. Note that he doesn't say anything about what's going to happen to the descendants of his children and his grandchildren. No, the promise is simply this. I myself will go down with you. Well, again, that's not merely a promise for Jacob. It's a promise for us. You remember Jesus' words to the disciples in the upper room? He tells them that he's going away and they become troubled. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Because I'm sending you my spirit. He will be with you. He will guide you. Friends, God promises his presence to Jacob. In the same way, Jesus has promised his presence with us through his spirit. We need not be afraid. Now, I know there are occasions and there are events in our lives that make us afraid. In fact, we would be foolish in some level not to fear some of the things that happen to us or that come down the pipe. And I think the temptation we fall prey to is, Uh, We want to know the outcome. We think it would be great if God would tell us the outcome, but he doesn't promise us to tell us the outcome. No, he promises to be with us. He promises his presence. He promises that he will never leave nor forsake us. Second, There's a bit of new math that we need to explain. It's interesting in the list of names, which, by the way, if you're looking for some pet names or possibly even some baby names, there are some good choices here. My nephew and his uh, wife are expecting their first child. She is to be named Poppy. I thought to myself, why? Because Zerah isn't good enough? You couldn't go with the poppies somehow? Okay, well, there, there you go. But if you will look particularly at verse 12, there's an interesting addition to the travel list. And then there's a note. In verse 12, we read, the sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Sheila, Perez, and Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. Huh. Now, we read in verse 26 and in verse 27 that these are all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, so this is part of the math to get us to 66 And then you have Joseph, and you have his wife, and his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and that gets us to 70. The problem is, two guys died in Canaan. So we don't really have 70, we have 68. Is the Bible wrong? Does the Bible contain an error? Well, let's understand for just a minute how genealogies function in the Bible. This is not a travel manifest. This is not in, in that way a good way to sort of uh, gauge how the generations work. This is, this is not the kind of place you would want to go to to do genealogical work. Uh, this would not pass muster on Ancestry.com. No, genealogies in the Bible serve a theological function. There are omissions. There are people who are added. And in this particular instance, there are two interesting additions. So why include Er and Onan? Why include two guys who are dead and then tell us that they died in Canaan? Why do that? And then at the end in verse 27, say that all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70, why would he do that? Well, because 70 is a number of completion. 70 is not 70 in the sense that you and I would think of it as we're taking inventory. But 70 is a number that is representative of something greater than itself, sort of like the number 3 or the number 12. See, what the writer here wants us to understand is that when God reiterated his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, that his descendants would be as numerous as the sands of the seashore, that we can see in part, God is keeping his covenant promise. Seventy people are heading down to Egypt. Not really. But because 70 denotes completeness, what Moses wants us to understand is that God keeps his promises. He promised Abraham that his people would be a great nation. He promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the sands in the seashore. And what Moses wants us to understand is that God is keeping his promise. Seventy folks are in Egypt. Our God is faithful to the promises that he keeps. Again, that's a good word for us. And I love how Peter put it in our New Testament reading for today. See, we get a little frustrated because we think that God is slow in keeping of his promises. Or in as Peter is writing, he's writing to people who are suffering. They're being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. And Peter says, hey, Oh, wait a minute. Listen, it's okay. When you're being persecuted, when you're suffering, time seems to slow down. So Peter writes to them in verse 8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day, this is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, the Lord is not full, is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, slowness. Excuse me. But what he is, is patient. He's patient. God is keeping his covenant promises. He's showing along the way, Jacob, not just by promising his presence, but by giving him a glimpse of how he's keeping the promise that he made to Abraham related to his descendants. Well, here's the third question we have to ask. In chapter 47, uh, we see Jacob, 130 years old, probably with a bit of soup or something still in his beard and stuff on the front of him, being led in to stand before Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh how old he is, and then I love how he puts this, this few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Jacob comes before Pharaoh singing the blues, but then... In verse 7, and again in verse 10, we're told that Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Now, that has to make you stop and scratch your head. Because typically speaking, it's the greater who blesses the lesser. Jacob is in Pharaoh's country as a guest. Jacob is in Pharaoh's country at the invitation of his prime minister, his son, Joseph. So how is it that Jacob is the one blessing Pharaoh? Again, let's remember that Israel is the lone, excuse me, that, uh, that Egypt is the lone superpower of the day there would not have been a G8 gathering in Pharaoh's day it would have been a G1 gathering and there would have been one dude calling the shots it would be Pharaoh but again let's remember the covenant promise that God makes to Abraham and Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 not only does he promise him land not only does he promise him presence and offspring but he promises him that all the families of the earth shall be blessed through him. Now, we know that ultimately, in a spiritual sense, that gets fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why in Matthew's Gospel, he goes to great lengths to remind us that Jesus is of the line and lineage not just of Abraham and of Judah, but he's also of the line and lineage of, or not just David and Judah, but he's also of the line and lineage of Abraham. And so here again, we see this little glimpse, this little snapshot of God keeping His covenant faithfulness and demonstrating His covenant faithfulness to His people. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you, Abraham. And here's your grandson in his dotage, standing before the the ruler of the lone superpower of the day, singing gloom, despair, and agony on me. And yet he blesses him. And Moses tells us this not once, but twice. Verse 7, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Verse 10, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Friends, God is reminding them and he is reminding us that he is faithful to his covenant promises. Here's the last question we have to ask. This is the last plot twist. In verses 11 and 12, we're told that Joseph settles his father and his brothers in the best of the land. It's in the land of, it's called Goshen the land of Ramses. And by the way, it's important to note, it's away from most of the large cities. Uh, you may have noted, and this is a bit of foreshadowing that Moses is doing for us. If we were going to get into Exodus, we'd talk about this more. But we, we, we get a, a hint, we get a glimpse of the kind of conflict that we're going to see when we get to the book of Exodus, Exodus. When we're told that there's a Pharaoh who doesn't know about Joseph. And so here are these group of people. Uh, they are guests in the land. Uh, they are uh, quite prolific. And they are shepherds, all of which are abominable to the Egyptians. But Joseph gets his family settled. And then note what we're told in verse 12. Joseph provides for his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. And we're kind of going, okay, wait a minute. uh Uh, Why does he need to do that? Are they not self-sufficient? I mean, after all, we've got water and pasture. We've got food. I mean, if nothing else, they can eat the livestock. Why is Joseph footing the bill? Is this another example of a kind of low-key flex on Joseph's part? Hey, I brought you here. And now I'm going to take care of you. Well, no, we need to remember that as we've been making our way through the Joseph story, we've seen that Joseph is Joseph and he's a real historical guy. But Joseph is also God's chosen servant. And so Joseph, in many ways, points us forward to the coming chosen servant of God, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's what we learn. Here's what God reminds us of when he tells us that Joseph foots the bill for the entire family. This is what he's saying. Hey, listen, I provide for all that you need through my chosen servant. If you need it, I will provide it through my chosen servant. This past week in the Simeon Trust, as I said, we're going through the book of Revelation. And it's very interesting when you get to Revelation chapter 5. So you've had the letters to the churches. You have this sort of opening scene in heaven. And then in Revelation chapter 5, John sees these wonderful scrolls. But the problem is there's a seal on them. And John understands, man, I, I really want to see what's in those scrolls, but nobody can break the seal. And so we're told in Revelation chapter 5 that John starts weeping because there's nobody there to break the scrolls. And scholars go, hey, uh, there are four great visions in the book of Revelation. There's the one to the churches that comes first. And then there are these next three that deal with how God is going to, one, judge his creation and those who do not know him but then also how he's going to do this work of new creation and delivering his people and so we really need somebody to break the scrolls to break the seal so that we can see what this next plan is going to be how is God going to bring about both this decreation and this new creation And in Revelation chapter 5, in fact, keep your finger in Genesis and turn all the way to the back. Go to the book of Revelation. By the way, if you get to the dictionary in the back that has words, you've gone too far, but just a little bit. Revelation chapter 5. Let's look at verse 3. Actually, uh, verse 2. I'm sorry. Here we go. Verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse six, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns. And seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Friends, God provides all that we need through his chosen servant. There's no one worthy. Oh, yes, there is. Weep no more. Your God has provided all that you need through His chosen servant. He did it for Jacob and his 11 sons, and He has done it for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, hey, wouldn't it be great if God would kind of show up for us in the same way that He did for Jacob? Wouldn't it be great if there was a way in which God said to you, don't fear, I am with you? Wouldn't it be great if there was a way in which God assured us of His presence with us that He's keeping His covenant promises? Wouldn't it be great to know that indeed all the families of the earth have been blessed through the covenant that God made through Abraham. And wouldn't it be great to know that God really has provided all we need through his chosen servant? Wouldn't it be great if God would do for us what he did for Jacob? Well, friends, he has. And right before us this morning, we have a visual, tangible reminder of our God's covenant faithfulness. And the most fundamental thing that the table proclaims is that God is our God and we are his people. We are proclaiming the death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again in other words all that we see god do in genesis chapter 46 and 47 for the benefit and the care and the keeping of his people he does for us in christ and we get a small taste of it this morning as we come to the table let's pray father thank you Thank you for your goodness and graciousness to us. Thank you that as you showed your covenant faithfulness to Jacob and to his 12 sons, you continue to show that covenant faithfulness to us. And not just in the sending of your son. We're thankful for the incarnation. We're going to celebrate it here shortly. Father, we thank you for his faithfulness. We bless you this morning that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, bless us now as we come to the table. Strengthen us for the living of these days. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.